In our last episode of Our Common Salvation, we thought about a biblical theology of emotions. And we said in that episode that emotions are the communication of our cravings, the dialect of our desires, the articulation of our affections. And then I quoted Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, who have um, very helpfully pointed out that, quote, emotions are the language of the soul. They're the cry that gives the heart a voice, end quote. What we want to do in this episode is to provide a biblical definition of anger, one of the stronger emotions within the human experience. And we want to describe manifestations of anger, both in the inner and the outer person. We'll take a look at some of the biblical factors that drive anger and then detail several biblical strategies to respond to anger. So let's get started. According to biblical counselor Robert Jones, anger is a, quote, whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil, end quote. I'll, I'll say that again. This comes from Robert Jones' uh, 2005 book called Uprooting Anger, Biblical Help for a Common Problem. Jones says that anger is a whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. Well, this definition is helpful on a number of levels, not, not the least of which is because it is so carefully worded that it is inclusive of God's holy anger as well. Consider Exodus 32, 9 and 10, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, John 3, 36, Romans 1, 18, and Hebrews 10, 29. God's holy anger, also known as his wrath against sin, is his whole personed response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. As Jesus Christ is God incarnate, the New Testament clearly teaches us about his holy anger as well. Mark chapter 3 verse 5, Revelation chapter 6 verse 16, and the Gospel of John chapter 2 verses 13 to 17. Therefore, it's important to recognize that Christians, as persons made in the image of God and redeemed by Christ, are called to imitate our Lord in this moral character quality as well. Ephesians 4.26. However, this is often only done with great difficulty, as our sinful nature still seeks to twist and to distort expressions of righteous anger into self-serving, self-righteous, and often dangerous explosions of unholy anger. It's interesting to think about, but anger is the one deadly sin that if we only did it better, we'd be far better off. Think about it. Ephesians 4.26 counsels us to be angry and do not sin. Well, anger is the only one of the seven deadly sins. And remember the seven deadly sins. You've got pride, envy, anger, greed, sloth, gluttony, lust. Well, anyway, anger is the only one of these seven of which this can be said. The admonition, be gluttonous and do not sin, doesn't work. Or be lustful and do not sin. It's not possible. But the Bible does counsel us explicitly by way of apostolic command in Ephesians 4.26, be 
angry and do not sin. So anger is the one deadly sin that if we only did it better, we'd be far better off. Our major malfunction at the end of the day isn't that we're angry, but rather that we struggle to be, in the words of David Pallison, good and angry. Well, anger does manifest itself, of course, both in the inner and the outer man. Inside of us, anger can lead us to blow up or to clam up, to spew or to stew. As Robert Jones observes, anger is a problem in all of our lives, quote, whether you simmer or strike out, whether you implode or explode, from red-hot rage to icy blue rejection, end quote. On the inside, sinful anger can heat up and rampage into wrath, or it can cool down, crystallizing into a settling bitterness. In the outer man, hot anger frequently exposes itself in words, gestures, stomping, slamming, throwing, physical abuse, or even murder. On the other hand, cool anger in the outer man, while also marked by the sinful use of words and cutting expressions and the like, is manifested most frequently in relationally isolating, alienating, and separating oneself from others. Whether it's hot or cool, sinful anger can also negatively impact one's physical health, including headaches and heart problems and high blood pressure, etc. Now, the factors that drive anger are deep and powerful, but they're simple enough to understand. Like each and every problem in our lives, the heart of the matter is that our hearts are the matter. James tells us that sinful anger emerges in our lives when our desires morph into demands. I'll say that again. This is really my paraphrase of James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. James tells us that sinful anger emerges in our lives when our desires morph into demands. When I want something so bad that I will act out in sinful anger in order to get it, or I will act out in sinful anger if I don't get it. Thus, sinful anger is driven by idolatry. Now, while the diagnosis is indeed devastating, the cure is even more powerful. Since the gospel is the comprehensive rescue for all of our problems in this life, Romans 1.16, we should not be surprised to learn that the grace of God in Christ mediated through the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit can lead to real and lasting change, even when it comes to matters related to and strategies for responding to sinful anger. There is both pardon for sin and power for change in the cross and empty tomb of Jesus. One biblical strategy in the counseling room to help a counselee to learn how to become uh, a different person with regard to anger is the idea of learning how to become slow to anger. Proverbs 15.18, Proverbs 16.32, Proverbs 19.11. James 1, 19 to 20. Be slow to anger. Furthermore, when a counselee is responding in uh, sinful wrath, uh, or rather responding to the sinful wrath of others, we can teach them how to become soft toward others' anger. So we've got slow to anger on the one side, but then the biblical admonition to be soft toward others' anger 
Take a look at Proverbs 15.1, Proverbs 15.18, Proverbs 20, verse 2, Proverbs 29.22, Proverbs 30, verse 33, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, Ephesians 6, 4, Romans 12, 17 to 21, to become soft toward others' anger. In addition, we ought to help our counselees in the context of biblical counseling to focus on becoming a student of God's anger. Oh, this is mission critical. Become a student of God's anger, which is always righteous, always holy, always good, always shot through with love. So Exodus 32, 9 to 10, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Deuteronomy 9, 7 and 8, Deuteronomy 29, 23, 2 Kings 22, 13, Psalm 7, 11, Psalm 103, verses 8 and 9, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Oh, take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 5. That's an example of Jesus becoming righteously angry. Or what Jesus says about the Father's wrath in John 3, 36. Or Paul's words to us about the wrath of God in Romans 1.18, Romans 2, 4 and 5, Romans 2, 8, Romans 5, 9, Romans 9, 22. And then there's Colossians 3, 6, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 2.16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And then Hebrews 3, verse 11, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And finally, Revelation chapter 6 verses 16 to 17, and Revelation 19, 15. Lastly, since sinful anger is ultimately rooted in pride, that is, self-righteous anger, the answer is to cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. Those are the That is the root. Humility is the queen of virtues that will allow us to become slow to anger, soft toward others' anger, and a student of God's anger. So cultivate humility. We can and must remind our counselees that their lives ought to first be about how to love and please God, and secondly, how to love and serve others. God is first, others are second, and we are a distant third. When we count ourselves as servants of Christ, and ourselves as the servants of others for Christ's sake, sinful anger has a way of melting. And we will see our way clear when and if righteous anger is appropriate. He who walks humbly walks safely, especially from sinful pride that can manifest in anger. Grace and peace.